sometimes the best treasure is found in the most obscure places. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at First and Second Kings. Well, there's treasure there. But admittedly, First and Second Kings is obscure to a lot of us, isn't it? When we think about God's Word, studying God's Word is fun. It can energize us. It can give us hope for the journey. It can transform us to be more like Jesus. And any time you are looking at God's Word, and that includes this morning as we study together, here are three fundamental questions I'd like for you to ask. Fundamental question number one, what is this passage telling me about God and how great and awesome He is? What's this passage telling me about God and how great and how awesome He is? Fundamental question number two, what is this passage telling me about my responsibility to this great and awesome God? What is this passage telling us about our responsibility to this God that is so good, holy, and perfect, and beautiful? Here's the third fundamental question. It helps to ask, why did God put this in His Word in the first place? Why is God telling me this? Why is He telling us this? Now, let's start looking at 2 Kings 6, 1 through 7. Let me answer the third fundamental question first. Why did God put this in the Bible? I suppose that if we wanted to just answer the question about this floating axe head that had been down at the bottom of the Jordan River... We would say something like this. Why God put this in, the Bible, is so that we can know that through Elisha, God's prophet, God is willing to help people. Well, that's good. As far as it goes, and tragically, that's about as far as many people go when they think about this particular incident. And it's probably one you haven't studied very much, you haven't thought about very much, but just go back and let me tell you the story in an abbreviated way. Elisha was the head of a school, a school of preaching, we might say today, a school of the prophets at that particular time. And the school was getting so large that they didn't have good enough accommodations. There was a lack of space. And so it was determined that they would go near the Jordan River and they would cut beams and they would cut logs to have an addition or to build a new facility altogether. We're not altogether sure which one is true. A new facility or to just build on. But while they are working, one of the students, one of the young prophets in the school of the prophets, is flailing away with his axe. And the axe head comes off and it flies into the Jordan River and if coarse iron sinks to the bottom. And one can hear the despair and the aggravation 
Ah! It was borrowed. And so he cries, Master, is there anything that you can do? And Elisha cuts a branch. The text says he throws it into the river. And the axe head comes up from the bottom, comes right back to the man. He's able to pick it up off of the surface of the water. Now, any way you look at that, it's a miracle, huh? Any way you look at that. But it's amazing how some people will go the wrong direction when God has plainly spoken. And I want to talk about three wrong directions people often go with a passage like this. And it's important because sometimes we have the tendency to do this ourselves. God wants us to make straight cuts with His Word. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 15. He doesn't want us to bend His Word and get it all out of shape, to distort it. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16. So how we handle God's words important. I ask you, can we not simply take this passage at face value? Can we not say that it means what it says and it says what it means? This is a literal, straightforward account. And admittedly, okay, we're talking about an axe head sinking to the bottom of the Jordan that God through Elisha the prophet, makes come up to the top and come right back to the young man that had lost it. I know. I guess it may not have the panache, it may not have the color, it may not have the wow factor of raising Lazarus in John 11. Or feeding the 5,000 in John chapter 6. Or Jesus walking on the water later in John chapter 6. But it's telling us something about God and our relationship with God. I believe this passage will give us four insights into the beautiful character of God. But what I want to do is tell you how people twist the passage, briefly. Some people rationalize it. They rationalize it, and they would say something like this, there's no way that this is anything more than a blown-out-of-proportion embellishment. This didn't really happen, Adam, Not like it's being conveyed in Scripture. It will be rationalized. Would God really care about an old iron axe head? And so they are going to really say it did not occur. And they'll say something to this effect. Elisha makes this, cuts a stick and and, and he kind of goes around looking toward the bottom and The stick just happened to be the same size, and Tim, it went right into the socket. And he was able to move it up after he drug it a little ways, and then bring it up. Now, is that what the passage indicates? It says he threw the stick in the river, doesn't it? Some people rationalize what the Bible says to get around its message. We need to be careful about twisting Scripture that way. Here's a more common one in mem- by members of the church. Some allegorize what the passage says. And by that they give a symbolic meaning that is not supported by the text. 
by, to, to various things found therein. Think about this one, Jordan, since the Jordan River is mentioned. Jordan would be symbolic of death and of judgment because we talk about not wanting to cross Jordan alone. We use that term that way. So the Jordan River is symbolic of death and judgment. You think about the axe head and how it was made of iron. It symbolizes man's heart or soul. Because after all, the Bible says in Proverbs 27 and verse 17, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens the countenance of another. And some of us have hearts and consciences just like iron. Oh, hard-hearted people, right? What is it that was taken to save hard-hearted people from death and judgment. What did Elisha, a prophet, by the way, take? What did he take in 2 Kings 6? What did he take? He takes a stick. A stick is made out of wood and would symbolize the cross. So by the cross, hard-hearted, iron-hearted people can avoid Death and judgment. Now, don't believe a word of that because it's all a load of baloney. But sometimes preaching occurs like that. And sometimes teaching does. Imagine sweet Cherie giving me a grocery list. At the top of the list, she wants me to get noodles. I start allegorizing. I say... She's a sweet lady. Noodle is what I'm supposed to think with. I'm supposed to think with my head. Therefore, I get a head of lettuce instead of noodles. She has on her list chicken. She has chicken on the list. And I say to myself, a chicken, a chicken's a way that sometimes we talk about people who are cowards, won't do what's right, won't proclaim what's right. And you know what? They're yellow. And so, what I do is get yellow squash. She put down chicken. I also got yellow butter, because I like yellow butter on my yellow squash. Can we not see how dangerous that can be as an approach to God's Word? We need to. Sometimes there's a tendency to allegorize when the message itself is rather clear. But here's another way we twist things. We moralize. We moralize. And what we do is we take principles that can really be found anywhere in the Bible and everywhere, and we act as if these principles must be seen here. For example... Truly faithful to God, truly faithful to God people, true faithful people are always growing. Just like the school of the prophets, the time will come in our growth that we'll get so big that we need to expand our facilities. Is that ideal? Is it optimal? Does it always happen? Every person is a beam or log in the kingdom. You moralize. 
How strong a beam are you? How great a log are you? And building up the body of Christ to moralize. Hey, I listen to preaching and do more than my fair share of it. And I'll tell you, allegorizing, rationalizing, and moralizing is not uncommon. Just as that younger man in the school of the prophets was a steward, a manager of things that had been given to him by somebody else, we all are managers of things that have been given to us, aren't we? Now here's my question. Are all the things I just said true? General principles. God wants people to grow. We're all stewards, right? Every person needs to be a beam, needs to be a, 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 a plank in building up the body of the Lord. Okay, we can all go for that, but is that really what this passage is talking about? No. This passage gives us four beautiful insights into the character of God. Now let's look at them. You ready? Insight number one. God is concerned about simple individual needs. God is concerned about simple individual needs. Of a young mama, of a grandmama, of a preacher, of two people about to get on an airplane shortly. God is concerned about simple individual needs. Now, I'll tell you what, in the last chapter was 2 Kings 5. You got Naaman. Naaman's a general. He's the the king of Syria's right-hand man. I can understand why that's a big issue. But what we often tend to do is what we shouldn't. We think of God like us. You thought that I was altogether such a one as yourself. And we think he's too busy. We think that his, his schedule is too crowded. Go away. I, I, I really shouldn't. Take this type of concern to God because He is the master of the universe. He is Isaiah 66 verse 1. Heaven is His throne, the earth is His footstool. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Psalm 24 and verse 1. And what I want you to see here is this. This passage is telling us that God is concerned about simple individual Needs. A man who's not even an official prophet yet, he's just in school, and an axe head that he is lost in the Jordan River. Steve, you reckon that means God's concerned about your individual simple needs too? Sure he is. The very hairs of our head are numbered. Matthew 10, 29. When you understand that simple individual needs are things that God cares about, you can take those to Him in prayer. 
Often we think he's too busy. He has too much. And this is so simple. I need to be thinking. And we worry about it. What happens is this. Simple individual needs have a tendency of piling up, don't they? And becoming overwhelming when we try to handle them on our own. God cares about simple individual needs. He cares about you. That's what this passage is saying. Insight number two into the character of God, the beautiful character of God. You can see this also from verse 5. Insight number two. God's power is available concerning genuine needs. Think that. Think about it with me. Simple individual needs, God's concerned. God's power is available for genuine needs. You know, we look at the Bible so much through Western eyes. And we would do so well when we studied and we would, we would be overjoyed and we would thrill and our enthusiasm for God's Word would heighten to unsurpassed heights if we could put ourselves in the sandals of the people that these things were happening to. When, look at verse 5, here he is working away, chopping wood for a beam, a log to build a larger facility for the school of the prophets. And the iron, the axe head, comes off the handle. Flies into the Jordan River. Now, with Western eyes, what you say and what I say is, well, why don't you just go to to Lowe's or Walmart and get another one? And if we're going to put on first... Uh, the the sandals of these people, the answer is going to be, with what? With what? Even if there were a Walmart or Lowe's. Because we are talking about a time in history where pennies mattered. Where axe heads mattered. Iron Think about that, ladies and gentlemen, because at that particular point in history, an axe head would have represented tens of hours in making. And it belonged to a friend. So I think maybe we can understand if we put it like this. We drive a neighbor's car into one of the lakes that occurs after our recent rains. That's harder to replace, isn't it? A genuine need. And think about this. This is why it says he cries out. He knew that somebody had entrusted to his care something that was worth something and valuable. And he, in just a moment, it's gone. He sunk. He feels his countenance sink. Because that's exactly where the axe head's gone. God... Power is there for genuine needs. Now turn to Philippians 4.19. 
Terry, when you get there, brother, if you don't mind, stand and read it. Think about, here's the idea. For a genuine need, God's power, God's blessing, He will help, He cares. Philippians 4.19 Genuine needs will be supplied from the bank account of the riches of His glory in Jesus Christ. If you know that you have an individual need, and yes, it's simple, but you want to take it to God, don't you think you can ask? Don't you think you can knock? And when you have a genuine need... In the course of the last couple of weeks, we've had lost dogs, dogs that passed away, lost spouses, sick people. And nobody is going to argue that there's not a priority there, but at the same time, a puppy can be just part of your family. Isn't that the truth? Simple, individual, genuine needs. God cares. So don't hesitate to talk to Him. Look at verses 3 and 4 because that brings us to a third insight. What's this passage telling us? Yes, it's telling us that God works powerfully through His prophet and performs a miracle. But let's get even more specific, like we're trying to do into the character of God. Catch this insight from verses 3 and 4 especially. God provides for future needs. God provides for future needs. William Gladstone was the Prime Minister of Great Britain. He was a very busy man, as you might imagine. There was a guy that was a street sweeper, and that's exactly what he was, a street sweeper in London. His task was to keep things off the street. You can imagine in a time a hundred years ago that there would be such a need for that. Sweeping streets. He was a man who could not read this street sweeper. Some people went to his house one day and they saw something very, very plain. There was a stool and there was a blanket. And the stool is where the man would sit and the blanket is where he would sleep. And the people asked who went by where he lived, said, Have you ever had any visitors? And he smiled and he said, Mr. Gladstone was here earlier today. And he read to me from the Bible. The prime minister of Great Britain had gone to a street keeper's, sweeper's home, plain as it was. And he sat on that stool, and the man said he read me the Bible. I suspect Gladstone was busy, don't you? 
But he wasn't too busy to read a sweet, uh, uh, someone that was keeping the streets swept. God's word. God is not too busy. And one of the things that he's so marvelous at doing is he provides for the future needs. Notice what happens because Elisha only says very few words in these verses. Mainly it's the words of people who are in the school of the prophets. They, they get permission to Elijah to, from, from Elisha to go to the river, right? They get permission to start cutting logs, right? And one of them says, Master, will you come with your servants? Mike, what if nobody had ever asked? What if nobody would have ever said, won't you come along? We see the inside of God's provision for the future in His providence. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord and are the called according to His purpose. Romans 8.28 What if Elisha wasn't there? Bye-bye axe head, huh? Let me ask you this. You can't prove it in a court of law, but you believe it with all your heart. As you look back over your life, are there not times when you believe that God cared for you and saw you through and provided for you in some little way, working through natural law, behind the scenes? Perhaps he departed for a while so that you could have him as a brother forever, Paul would say about God's providence in Philemon verses 15 and 16. That's the point. In a conversation, something transpired and God's providence operates. Will you come too, Master? Aren't you glad that he was asked? Finally, fourth insight into God and his character. God's appeal to spiritual needs. We can see God's appeal for spiritual needs. Now, where are you getting that, Mike? Think of 2 Kings because I'll tell you this. This event... 250 or 300 more years of history of the southern kingdom is yet to be written. It's going to go on. But then we're going to get to 2 Kings chapters 24 and 25, and the southern kingdom is going to go into Babylonian captivity. You think that the people who were the faithful remnant needed to remember when they were in Babylon or wherever they ended up. Our God is a refuge and a strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Psalm 46 and verse 1. The God who could make an iron axe head come to the top 
and float and come back to the one who had lost it is the same God who could take a nation that had been broken and had been taken into captivity and he could put them back together. Now, as we close, turn to Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. In Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, unto him, unto him who, unto him who is able, unto him who is able to do, unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. This passage was given by the Holy Spirit showing the power of God's prophet Elisha so that we could see that God cares about simple individual needs. That God's power is available when we have genuine needs. He's concerned that God's providence takes care of the future needs we have often in ways we didn't even realize. And that God is concerned ultimately about our spiritual needs. To trust Him. To love Him. To obey Him. Are you overwhelmed? Maybe you are like the axe head. You have been cast aside, thrown off, and you're in the deep. Isn't it marvelous to know that the God of heaven cares about you? That's what the passage is about. If you're not a Christian, through faith, repentance, and baptism, come to Jesus today. And if you're a Christian who's wandered away, and you've gotten caught up in the world and the things of the world, how you need to put your focus again on the character of a God who cares, come home. Let us stand and sing.